Welcome to Pocket Guide AI, uh, the artificial intelligence for executives. My name is Ansgar Bittermann, CEO of Goldblum Consulting, and I'm your host for today. And with me are my great global panelists, all experts in their own field. Thank you, Ansgar, for having me. Um, my name is Samira, and I'm based in Saudi Arabia, and I head research at an economic consultancy, Maxwell Stamp. Hi, I'm Satya. Uh, I am a, I'm an enterprise architect at uh, Spinmaster. Uh, we are a company at, in Toronto, Canada. Thank you, Ansgar. Hi, this is Nicole, Nicole Weidner from Germany. I'm project management consultant, IT project management consultant at Xenium, a small IT project management consultancy. Happy to be here today. Hi, everyone. This is Manjeet uh, from Perth, Western Australia. Uh, I've been working in data analytics for quite some time now. Uh, recently joined Avenard, so as a manager for data engineering and data architecture. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Isao Kobayashi. Uh, from Tokyo, Japan. I'm project manager and now aim to create a guidebook for AI project. I'm so excited to uh, participate, participate in this session. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Nico Mölz, uh, Germany, Nuremberg, uh, just in a house um, of Germany. Um, nice to be here. Good. Thank you very much for coming. So let's let's start talking about what is artificial intelligence and I mean, we can all agree that the word artificial uh, is relatively easy to define. It's something non-natural. But what actually is intelligence? Um, a lot of people, when when they coined that term in, 19, in the 1950s, artificial intelligence, um, nobody really knew what they actually meant when they said artificial intelligence because the word intelligence itself is like such a buzzword. Nobody really uh, you know, there's not one right definition for intelligence. So that's why we want to go back a little bit in time and see how people started to think about intelligence and uh, what intelligence meant for them and how intelligence is tested today. Because if we look at intelligence tests, then we know how they clearly define intelligence. So it all started um, roughly around in the 19th century with a guy called Paul, Paul Broca, and uh, he was a man with a very big head. And that is actually important for him because Paul Broca, um, he tried to identify at that time um, intelligence by measuring the size of the skull. And uh, he, he was living between 1824 to 1880. And uh, at that time, a lot of uh, not so many things uh, were known about the brain and uh, they made analogies to muscles for example and they say okay if i have a bigger muscle then you know i'm stronger so they th you know from that kind of perspective it made sense for them to try to use that method but paul broca uh, he was a scientist so he started to measure things and this was one of his theories and he tried to prove or disprove this theory but um well he didn't really go anywhere with that as we uh, learned later but this was the beginning um this was the beginning of the intelligence research and uh, everybody uh, has an area in his brain in your brain which is called the broca area uh, not so many people know that but um he's uh, he, he was very famous at the time and he was also the discoverer of the limbic or emotional system 
And uh, so, so he opened the skulls, he looked at the brain, but uh, you know, also at that time, if you, if you, if you get a sense of it, also electricity was not really that known, you know, what is electricity doing in our, in our body? When you think about uh, Frankenstein's monster, you know, they, they used electricity and they were fascinated by, you know, putting electricity on muscles and then muscles are moving. So a lot of things were beginning to, uh, were at the beginning of understanding. But then uh, we go a little bit further in time and there was a guy called Alfred Binet. And you see it uh, at that time, the beginning of intelligence research was in France. And this uh, Alfred Binet, he was living from 1857 uh, to 1911. Uh, and um, in 1889, the first French psychological uh, research laboratory was founded. And he um, was the director of this uh, research laboratory. And for him living in this enlightenment um, phase of, of uh, French history, he tried to use experimental methods to decipher the world of psychological wonders. And for that time, it was very important to use experimental methods because the Catholic Church still had a big hold on, on everything um, when it came to research, especially to the brain. And um, that's why, you know, they, they had the slogan that they said, you have to go in so small steps that faith can't fit in between these two steps. So that's why they tried these experimental methods. But then in 1904, it was after, you know, a few years after they had lost the big war against Germany, but then the first world war was at the beginning, you know, was at the horizon, you know, it's still at 10 years, but it was at the horizon. And then the French ministry uh, approached Alfred Binet and his uh, research laboratory, and they asked him, to develop the first IQ test for the French ministry, specifically to uh, discriminate between, you know, mentally challenged and normal kids. So it started off in the educational area, but then it also uh, grew into the, let's say, um, military complex. But then this test, which he developed together with a young doctor called uh, Theodore Simon, this became a huge hit. And this test was known as the Simon Binet test. And you might think like, yeah, it's, it's 1904. Um, but this test um, then was transformed a little bit in 1916 by, uh, by a researcher at Stanford University, uh, Terman. And he revised it. And this uh, Simon Binet test became the Stanford Binet test. And this Stanford Binet test is still used today uh, in its fifth revision, but it's still used today to determine what is uh, intelligence. For us here in Germany, um, the, the big name was Rudolf Amthauer, and he was living from 1920 to 1989. Uh, he was fighting actually for, for the Germans in the Second World War. He was captured, and uh, but then he was brought to America, and as a prisoner of war, he, he was uh, allowed to study psychology in Berkeley. So in 1944, he started to study psychology in Berkeley. After the war, he came back and uh, studied in the second oldest um, university in Germany. Uh, no, the, actually the second oldest psychological research facility in the world in Göttingen. And uh, there he also wrote his PhD thesis. And 
actually he and I we studied in the same building. So I came several years after him, but uh, you know they always told us that story. That's why I bring up his name. And he wrote his PhD thesis to develop a test, and this test was called the IST test. And um, and this PhD thesis was first sold in 1953 um, by a company called Hugreve. And Hugreve is nowadays the biggest testing company in the world. And this ISTR test, which R stands for revised, uh, is still used today. And uh, here we at Goldblum, we, we're using the ISTR also to determine intelligence for employees in a company. So if we would look at this ISTR test and if we see how they define intelligence, then we could get a good look at what intelligence actually means. And in 1955, that's why I brought in the ISTR test. There are many more tests, not many more, but there's a handful of other tests which I use today. But it's nicely that, you know, this test came out in 1953. And in 1955, uh, the guy, John McCarthy, he coined that term artificial intelligence. And, uh, and he also was the man who organized the famous Dartmouth conference in, in summer uh, 1956. So, and that conference started AI as a field and everybody, you know, many of you, um, we did the MIT course together. So you ha all had to learn that to get your credits. And, uh, and then this, you know, and uh, uh, Minsky, he also later joined McCarthy uh, at MIT in 1959. But the thing is that, you know, when he coined the term artificial intelligence, that was at the time where also Amtower developed his uh, uh, intelligence test. So we can imagine that these definitions of intelligence are pretty close together. So what we are seeing here, the ISTR test, um, for, for our listeners, I just uh, brought our panelists a picture of um, ex exemplary um, um, intelligence test from the ISTR. And what we are seeing here, we are measuring uh, with these candidates on several scales to solve verbal, numerical, and figural problems. For example, we uh, tell them, you know, um, there's a uh, there's a line of numbers one, two, three, five, seven, and then uh, tell us the next number. Or, uh, you know, you have words and then you have to match them. Or you have five uh, five. Uh, um, cubes in a row and you have to say okay what how should the sixth one look so these all are you know some kind of problem uh, we are solving and we are si still solving them that if you look at the Stanford Benitez it's pretty pretty similar you know and that's why these two tests are still around because the ISTR and the uh, Stanford Benitez there have a high correlation between them all of them, what they're doing, they're solving verbal, numerical, and figural problems. And these three um, uh, areas then are shown as interpretable scales for verbal intelligence, numerical intelligence, and figural intelligence. The, we add one more dimension to that, and that is our ability, our human ability to store and um, decipher memory uh, uh, um, information from our memory so that you know layman's term would be memory you know you have ultra short short and long-term memory and the better the memory that is also part of your um, intelligence or what we are what they were looking for back then for the general factor because you know math and data science had a at the very very early 
um, encounter with intelligence because they did a lot of factor analysis to find the general factor of intelligence. You can imagine for 100 years, scientists, they're beating their heads. You know, it's, it's really verbal, numerical and figural problems. Are they the basis of intelligence or not? And then what we add there um, together to this, let's say, fluid global factor, you know, the, the, that what makes our intelligence, we add something, it's called crystallized intelligence or crystallized factor. And that crystallized factor is knowledge, you know, how do you use your, let's say, software and hardware to learn? And um, you can imagine that this crystallized factor has a lot to do with education. For us humans, it's education. You know, machines learn differently, you know, but how well do you learn? How well do you use the capacity you have to make sense of your surrounding? And the fourth area which we are using in the ISTR is logic. Yeah, how well is your logical thinking? And there we differentiate between inborn logic and um, learned logical behavior. But the focus here is solving problems. You know, that is one of the key things for um, for intelligence. And um, because a lot of people, especially the ones who are not good in math, um, they all thought that um, a guy called Howard Gardner, he, he's a psychologist and um, in, in Harvard, and uh, he, he proposed a theory that there's more to intelligence than just verbal, numerical and figural um, and memory and, and logic. And he, he introduced the theory of multiple intelligences. You know, he had, for example, visual spatial uh, intelligence for uh, fighter plane uh, pilots or linguistic verbal intelligence or logical mathematical intelligence, you know, this is these are the three which we are also using. But then he said, okay, there must be something like mu musical, or rhythmical intelligence or bodily kinest kinesthetic, like uh, Ronaldo when he plays soccer um, or interpersonal, you know, the, the social touch we have or the intrapersonal. How well are you able to self-reflect? You know, how well are you able to... Um, perceive your thoughts, your feelings, your bodily bodily functions and to make sense out of them. You know, for example, somebody who would be um, easily aggravated would not have a high level of interpersonal um, uh, intelligence. And then he also had one, it's called naturalistic. Naturalistic um, means that, natru uh, that you're good uh, in the nature, with the nature, for example, farming, gardening, uh, working in a zoo or working with animals. That would be the naturalistic and existential uh, means that he's, um, that a person is spiritually uh, well, um, uh, well off, you know, that they are able to meditate well and uh, um, find the connection to God or to a godly, godly entity. And then a few years uh, later, he added one more, it's like the ability to teach. But although it was very, very famous and a lot of people liked it and he wrote a lot of books about it, it could never be proven that these multiple intelligences, um, you know, that they actually are their own factors. 
uh, as we talked about this general factor, you know, when, when, I, when I take a dual factor analysis with Stanford PNE test or with the ISTR, we see that they uh, load on the same factors. But when I try to identify autonomous factors, like for example, bodily kinesthetic intelligence, we could never find that. Yeah, and uh, one more thing, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Office fan. Yeah, the Office, the, the American version of the Office. And this Howard Gardner was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So if anyone knows Dunder Mifflin and the office, you know, they would uh, think, oh, yeah, it's a so he chose not to work in a uh, paper company. Uh, but so this is Howard Gardner. But what this uh, Howard Gardner was actually known for is uh, his own definition or let's say a very popular definition of psycho uh, of intelligence and it's a very short one. And as we saw in the ISTR, he also focuses on problem solving. And he says that intelligence is the ability to solve problems or to create products that are valued with one or more cultural settings. So if we adapt that definition of intelligence, because today we are talking about what is artificial intelligence, you know, we would say that artificial intelligence is a non-natural system yeah, because it's not natural with the ability to solve problems or to create products that are valued within one or more cultural settings. And but then there's one thing. If you think about this, artificial intelligence uh, is a, <clears throat> it's a system with the ability to solve problems or to create products. If you think of Excel, you know, words Excel, it could also be considered as an AI because Excel also has the ability to solve problems which are valued within our society. You know, it's like so many people use Excel. And to make a distinction here between Excel and true AI, uh, we will have to add one more component to that, and that is learning. You know, so in, in comparison to a normal software program, artificial intelligence has the ability to change and to become better the more data is fed. You know, like, our, like us humans, you know, as you saw in the ISTR, learning with a crystallized factor is a huge component of intelligence. And so we have to add this crystallized, what for a human is crystallized function, but for um, artificial intelligence is this learning capability. So, and it means it has to be adaptable, adaptable. And as Darwin put it, it has to fit. You know, a lot of people make a mistake when uh, when Darwin says survival of the fittest. It doesn't mean, you know, the one who, who can run uh, the fastest or to be fit, but it just means that it uh, has the ability to fit to certain circumstances. That is the ability to change, right? So uh, if we add this learning component to our definition, would mean that artificial intelligence is a non-natural adaptable system that has the ability to solve problems or to create products that are valued within one or more cultural settings. And I, I like about, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of the multiple intelligence from Howard Gardner, but I really like what he said about value because a lot of companies, when they start AI, and we talked about it a few other things, uh, sessions, you know, that they just do AI for the purpose of AI, but it has to create value. And it, so we can either create it because we're a business podcast here, you know, we focus on the business. So it has to create value either for the customer, I mean, 
better service or um, uh, value for the employee or value for the business itself. So for example, increase the revenue. If it's uh, if it increases value for the employee, you know, they could just work faster or better or uh, have have a better work experience. So in summary, that means that the AI system has or a system which wants to call itself AI has to increase either the value of the customer, the employer or the business. And if they are not, they are not considered AI system. And I know this is a very, let's say, um, aggressive statement or, um, you know, it's an edgy statement, but we want we want to use that statement in companies or, you know, at Goldblum, we're using that, state, uh, that definition in companies because we want to put pressure on the company so that they first think about what they can do with AI uh, and that they define a true business case before they start their first AI project. So there you have it. It's the definition for artificial intelligence. It's a non-natural adaptable system that has the ability to solve problems or create products that are valued within one or more cultural or business settings. Thank you, Ansgar. It's uh, uh, very enlightening uh, to go through the how the intelligence actually uh, came about um, and the history of intelligence. But I have one, one question for the entire panelists. Is the word artificial intelligence really fitting um, to uh, because it is at the end of the day it all these uh, theories are created by human whether you like look at mathematics you know whether you look at algebra vectors uh, they're all made uh, you know all these theories are are created to solve certain problems right so at the end of the day we are using uh, these human created theories uh, through a, through a machine uh, and and you know using data and coming up to some sort of a, a conclusion right at the end of the day so this is okay I understand it is artificial but at the end of the day it is the ability to solve problems uh, which uh, which is originally solved by a human right so at the end of the day, is artificial a true, um, you know, a definition? To, to answer Satya, um, if artificial intelligence is really artificial, I wouldn't say it's completely artificial because it is um, intelligence of humans, um, you know, input in machines that learn and that gives an outcome. So it's blended, I would say. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what I mean. Obviously, there are many theories, right? So there's also talk about uh, augmented intelligence, right? So um, you know, it's something that is used to enhance uh, human uh, human ability to make decisions, right? So you're enhancing, um, you know, this is you, you you are actually, I mean, the whole concept of the artificial intelligence is only going to be um, be um, you know, the, the whole point of the uh, artificial intelligence is not to eliminate the humans, right? Uh, or not to replace humans, but it is it is to actually enhance the uh, enhance the ability for humans to make decisions by looking at, uh, you know, these 
um, bottlenecks or black holes of where where they cannot see what's what is happening and and that level of uh, information is 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 presented to them in, in a format that they can actually make a decision so they, they are going to make a more uh, more uh, educated decision of of a situation right so i feel like you know it augmented is is kind of uh, uh, is is more appropriate than artificial but you know again uh, at the end of the day uh, you know uh, i i am i am really uh, i'm just really trying to uh, create some sort of a debate here and and, and no, I, know, know what I, other people think right so yeah i ag- i agree with you uh, satya so because when we say artificial we are just uh, thinking that we are talking about machines but that intel- intelligence is created uh, uh like the seed is human intelligence so so i look at uh, look ai as a, as a human powered machine intelligence because machine are not learning by itself initially for the first time also humans started teaching machines so uh, so in my uh, so when i think of ai i think of human powered machine intelligence because when i when i read this in my brain it tells me that whatever ai systems uh, i am going to do, uh, deliver i have to make sure that human is in the loop if i just keep thinking about ai i will just keep thinking about machines only yeah, but manji this is exactly uh, what the uh, uh, european ai ethics commission just said that they said you know they they want to keep humans in the loop they don't want to have humans out of the loop because then there's no uh, oversight anymore and they're a little bit afraid if you don't have human oversight um then uh, they have a lot of problems but you know when we when we are measure you know when companies come to us and say okay can you help us assess um if a person fits into our company we we measure iq but you know this is just one part we also measure personality because as you know just think of somebody who is high in verbal numerical and figurative uh intelligence but they're low in um emotional stability you know you would call them crazy genius and send them in an office far far away from the others you know because they can't really collaborate and when when we you know as as um as satya also said is the augmentation of intelligence so it means that what we also saw in the MIT course you know we want to have a, some sort of collaboration between the machine and the human and the moment you have this method or the the the, the entity of um of collaboration then you need uh you need personality because you know if you're if you want to accept an artificial life form or, an, or a machine to be your colleague colleague you know they have to they have to have certain social skills they have to be able to be open for new um for new endeavors and new things to do and uh, if you know if a machine doesn't have a personality uh then it can always just be considered as a tool and uh otherwise it's not a real collaboration you know and if if you really think about these things it's like what do we want from this machine to do with us do do, do we want them to be our friends do we want to be you know we are afraid of them that they are going to be our masters uh but we want them to be our friends maybe you know our servants you know but there there's some sort of level of let's say assumption we have in our head how we want to interact with this um you know, with these machines and uh but in the moment 
when we talk about AI right now, the area of robotics is not really, um, it's not really pronounced everywhere, right? I mean, we have Boston, uh, Boston Dynamics, which have now their small robots running around. We have uh, drones flying around, but just imagine we have the ability uh, for robots to have a face because humans always, um, you know, react to faces very, very, very much. And then they would be in our, uh, in our environment. And then they immediately, you know, we immediately attach, you know, we don't, you know, we, we transfer our human feelings to machines very, very easily. You know, just look at kids when they play with their dolls or, you know, or we call it animation, you know, we, we animals mean spirit, you know, we put spirit into something. And we are very, 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 very uh, good at that as humans. So I'm very excited to see when that happens. You know, when they hit that level, then uh, then artificial intelligence also needs personality. Yes, correct. Yeah, I still remember uh, when I studied AI for the first time in 2001 as a part of my master's. It was not a very um, hot field, and because of because the technology was not available, uh, infrastructure such as cloud was not available. So uh, I, I studied those things theoretically, but I didn't get a chance to proceed in that. But uh, as you were touching upon um, human in loop, I think because AI itself um, uh, has like has so much potential to add value, but at the same time, if not governed properly, can lead to the disasters. Mm -hmm. and, and hence, in 2007, when I was taking a Microsoft AI program, I, when I studied ethics and law, uh, it was uh, I liked that module uh, much more than other modules because that talked about so many scenarios where AI, without uh, proper um, governance around it, had uh, had created so much uh, chaos. So, so I think uh, as we mentioned in the last few years, uh, AI principle has been designed to ensure that people who develop those application test those application and deliver those application, they uh, comply with those rules. Otherwise, um, and just to ensure, ensure that um, those those uh, systems are, self, they can explain themselves as to what is going on, uh, going on inside them. And also um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a citizen, as a responsible citizen, we also pay our, uh, pay utmost uh, attention to those aspects of AI. Yeah, I mean, I mean, very, very, very um, valid points that you brought there. Uh, I, again, I, I want to touch upon one additional point. I know we don't have much time here, but um, oh, just you, you know, um, the one thing that I I feel there will be a lot of development in uh, is uh, is the the competition and the fair ethics uh, of using artificial intelligence, right? So AI should not be um, should not be something that is only um, only applicable to the big corporations, right? So uh, the, the the governments have to step in and make sure that uh, uh, they they actually bring in uh, healthy competition uh, on, between you know the smaller uh, companies who do not have the the ability to actually uh, spend on. Um, spend on uh, technology or spend on uh, AI, uh, you know, workforce uh, to actually uh, create a, a strength of economy for them. So, so I, I feel like there will be a lot of development in the space um, uh, in, in the future. And uh, Manjit, you've actually nailed it really well. Uh, so, uh, 
that part is still i feel like it is still uh open for a lot of lot of development right so thank you for bringing that up perfect thank you very much everyone uh for this very lively discussion today and i hope our listeners uh, have a better understanding of what artificial intelligence or intelligence is thank you very much <laughs>